हम सॉरी भगवान जी मुझे बिल्कुल भी ये नहीं पता था कुछ भी वो है मुझे माफ कर दो भगवान जी प्लीज मुझे माफ कर दो हम रियली सॉरी man welcome back to something we have not done in a while for good reason you didn't miss us don't lie to me uh bridge the culture podcast man i'm your host jazz singh uh it's been a wild summer i'm sure it's been a wild summer for you too but we're we're trying to get back into the groove of things as i'm sure all of you are and we got a good one man we got a, we got an interesting one for you as you just heard very intriguing concept man uh we've got it's a sh- little short. It's out available now. We'll have a link for you below. It's called Forbidden Tikka Masala. Uh, it's di- writer and director is here with us today in the room. We haven't done an in the room before, but I, it was getting lonely doing it from uh, from across the border. So we got we got him in the room. It's his room. I barged in and stuff. He didn't even have to. He suggested it. But uh, writer director Rahul Chaturvedi is with us today uh, by force. I didn't, didn't whatever, but. Rahul, how are you, man? So glad you could, uh, you decided to do this because I wasn't going to do this until somebody begged me to. <laughs> no, thank you for having me, Jazz. And I've gone through a couple of these podcasts before. I thought they were terrific. Oh, well, uh, I didn't pay him to say that, everybody. I just... <laughs> no, nobody pays me. Somebody, <laughs> please pay me. <laughs> yes, we need sponsors. Can somebody sponsor this podcast? We're 10 in already. Um, so Rahul is the, is the writer-director of... Uh, of the film it, it just made its online release i think it's been a week it's been a week now oh a week now yeah. been a week now uh before i mean they heard a little bit of a teaser uh talk talk to us about it. tell us what it's about and yeah then we'll get into your story but what is the story of forbidden tikka masala the forbidden tikka masala is a coming of old age comedy about an older indian devout vegetarian woman who accidentally eats chicken at her retirement party and that sort of changes her life and she goes on this epic journey to find that special recipe uh and and sort of has a, a coming of age yeah no it's so the like again i feel like the hook alone is what got me like it was the idea of because like my mom is vegetarian and we i'm sure we all know a bunch of aunties who are super like this is bad so I was like, man, I want to see that that world crashing down and how yeah. she reacts, and and just the idea of like, man, what if she does like it? Like I know a lot. Like my mom's a vegetarian, but I know that in recently, like the last like maybe two three years, she has like experimented, where I think <laughs> like not with chicken, she doesn't do meat that way, but yeah. like she started to have like scrambled eggs or, or something. Like there's a, a small yeah. like she was like I used to eat this when I was a kid and I stopped for some reason. Um, it's like a thing. But like, just based on what I think the the outside world thinks, I think a lot of the outside world still thinks like, "Oh, you're Indian, so you guys are all vegetarian, right?" So the idea of like someone's uh, coming gripping coming to terms with that is interesting. And then, um, yeah, for anyone out there, if you want, I suggest we have one of those like, what is it, like an Instagram challenge hashtag, <laughs> the Forbidden Dicka challenge, where you you go to your devout vegetarian mothers and you accidentally <laughs> feed them chicken. And capture their capture their freak out on camera, and tag us in the comments because this is never going to happen. But we're all going to get sued. So (laughs) try it. So that really got me going uh, about that of of what that means for someone who, you know, in some weird way, even that kind of broadening your horizons at that age is fascinating to me. Of who would somebody do that kind of a thing? So like you said, it takes place in brand. It takes place in the city that we're currently in. I'm pretty sure the woman in his character, the character's a real woman. She lives two blocks away 
Um, she could not be here today, but you know, she's no, on no, a she's not. <laughs> on a on a quest for chicken. That lady. Um, but yeah, it it it, it J- Jazz is on a quest to get a suit at, at any cost today. <laughs> By who? Chicken manufacturers? Uh, the community already is not a big fan. So the general sense of like uh, what I thought was going to be a quirky comedy about this woman like just blowing her own mind by eating chicken, weirdly it became, like you said, a coming of age, you know, retirement, what do I do in life, a real kind of a crisis for her, which I thought was really, I didn't expect that turn and it was very fascinating to me. So I guess we'll start with that. How did you... Did this happen? Did your mom accidentally eat some chicken? What what was the catalyst where you were just like, oh my God, that subversion is hilarious and I think I have something here. What was the, the genesis of that idea? So something similar did happen where, and it happened when I was in India, I was growing up. And mm. This happened when I was in grade one or two where my friends and I, we would be sharing lunches. And one of my friends ate a lunch from someone else and then found out that it had chicken. Now, this kid innocently went home and told his family, you know, it's like, mom, I ate chicken accidentally. And he really wasn't ready for the spanking that came his way. And he had to be washed with, you know, Ganga gel, like Ganges water. Ah. And uh, for a week, he had to pray to God for absolution of this sin. And even as a child that... His friend was a Punjabi guy. I feel feel (laughs) like I have to to jump in here and say, we are, I apologize. We just forced chicken on everybody. (laughs) No, it, it, the absurdity of that event, even as a child, stayed with me because this was someone who'd made an innocent mistake mm. and gone and, you know, spoken to their parents honestly about it. And I always thought, you know, what kind of lesson did this child get that, you know, should they start hiding things, you know, that, that are not considered yeah. uh, worthy or or, or tradition of their traditions? Um so, and as a, a writer, when I was growing up, it always stayed in my mind that, you know, the absurdity of that idea, one day I'll write something about it and, you know, how funny it was. Mm. Uh, and the, then uh, the other idea came when I lived in Brampton for a few years. So Brampton is sort of this, you know, South Asian Desi community, uh, one of the biggest ones in Canada. And what we see here is uh, groups of uh, seniors and every morning they get out of their homes because their kids are going to work, their grandkids are going to school and they've got nothing to do. So they go sit in the playground, you know, these little gazebos and they're playing cards all day. But this is their life every day. And that idea of, you know, just how monotonous retirement can get. And I started seeing this in my family where, you know, my uncles, aunties, my parents, they're all getting to the retirement age. And this was a, a new phase that I was seeing in my house where uh, as kids, we always believe our parents know what is up. You know, they've got life figured out. And when you see them at this point of indecision or, you know, insecurity of, of, of what is happening next in their lives, it is uh, interesting to watch because you realize that nobody really knows anything, you know, or uh, nobody has it all figured out. So when those two ideas sort of came together in my mind, I was like, okay, what if this person who's, you know, dealing with with, uh, an an age of retirement and not knowing what to do next does something taboo and realizes that everything that they've ever stood for in their life is untrue, you know, and uh, in in this uh, film, at least, that's what I saw. And uh, that is sort of the the, uh, place of women in, especially in South Asian society, 
where they as children they are told what to eat what they who they can pray to who their husband is going to be that their father decides then the husband decides you know what that family is going to eat and how much they'll pray and what their family life will be like so i felt what if you know this person does something taboo and finally gets to make one decision of of their lives and it's the the worst thing that can happen because it's against everything that that's ever been taught to them I, yeah, so that again, that that's what surprised me in a in a good way. Of uh, that was I love that point that you made about uh, her not having agency in her life ever, and like she her husband's in this movie, and and he's very uh, I wouldn't say he's like a villain, but he, whenever he shows up on screen, I felt a very <laughs> personal sense of like go away. I don't like what like he wasn't like yeah. dis, he wasn't dismissive and I mean he is dismissive but it, it he just felt so indifferent yeah. to the like her existence which again uh, you again this is a comedy everybody don't act like it's going to be this big drama but my sensibilities lean a bit dramatic so my brain was like man this poor woman uh, who's getting kind of chastised for not just doing something that she clearly is so tortured by doing. And on top of that, her family is just the just like we don't care about what you're going through right now. Um, so that was interesting. And then she goes on her own little journey, and I just thought, like, yeah, what what a wonderful way to showcase um, what like the females go through in terms of in a different world in a different land. Uh, she probably when she came here, you know, she has a son in the movie, gave you know college, whatever it is. They raise these kids. The dad works. But she never really has a, a life of her own until she goes on this like magical search for like this chicken that is you know completely life changing. And that part was only a little bit dramatized. Like uh, I've grown up seeing men like that. I have been that man who's been you know dismissive of their mother and and the efforts you know that their family puts towards them. So it was also sort of cathartic in a way mm-hmm. to write about those things and realize when you know I have been unkind to at least my mom, that uh, I I felt a comedy could be a good device to at least uh, have people you know look inwards and and see what their behavior has been like because we as our you know in our generation we like to feel that we are woke. And you know we're fighting for emancipation of everyone else, but what about our moms? Like we've never, you know, we barely even have a conversation with with them. Oh, we're gonna get heavy now. <laughs> Remember a little while ago I said prank your mom by giving her chicken. Don't do that. Don't be a jerk <laughs> to your mothers. You know how hard they work. Like my mom, she she cooks chicken wonderfully. This is gonna be a plug for my mom now. Uh, cooks chicken wonderfully. Doesn't eat it. Does so much, and I'm just like, no, no, just feed her chicken for fun. Uh, no, you're right. Uh, and that's what I'm saying is I would take this same story and it would become this like brooding dark drama about this woman taking like yes i ate chicken you're all gonna eat chicken you're gonna feel what i feel and stuff it become a real powerful tale but i i like that so so the the movie kind of i mean now i'm not gonna you can't really spoil a short film but like i'm when i say that about half ish halfway through it does stop really being about the chicken is just a catalyst like that moment is just a catalyst what she then does to over overcome and compensate and, and 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 learn and travel and how she kind of sticks it to her family who is dismissive that's really the crux what i what i what stayed with me during it was like okay that was just to get us in the door we we should all know butter chicken gets you right in the door but why do you stay for the journey and stuff so that was what was interesting to me and 
yeah, that was the... So she ends up going to this big fair, and she meets people, and, and they help her. And then it becomes this weird, like, community tale where you get to meet other people. Like, you really did do a good job of wrapping up so many different concepts yeah. in a short amount of time where you zig and zag where I think, oh, it's going to be this, and it's not. And then, you, oh, it's going to be this, and then it's not. And then even, again, not to spoil the ending, but it, it still... It leaves so much room for you know what this journey could be and i and i think that that's a great thing uh a a big hats off for so your your lead in the film uh Belinder Joel is Belinda, the Belinda Joel. she's a she's been in a lot of things she's got a pretty impressive imdb makes me jealous that's for sure um so how did that kind of come across it's a fun story uh so i pitched this film uh, at Relation. Uh, so Relation, uh, plugging that festival, a wonderful festival. Sponsor that us, Relation. <laughs> you have nothing so, to lose. Supports a lot of Asian filmmakers. Yeah. And I'd won the pitch competition there. So I knew I was making the film. <clears throat> and then I'd written this story with this senior Indian lady in every frame of the film. So this was 15 minutes and, you know, someone who could hold the frame for 15 minutes. And then I started looking at actresses and it was, you know, it was so hard to find a Desi actress. That was my follow-up. Go on, you know, yeah. sixty-five years or or older, uh, in in Toronto, but even in Canada, and uh, especially someone who could speak the language. So a lot of actresses are working here, but I couldn't find someone who could speak Hindi or or any of the yeah, yeah. the local Indian languages. And I felt it would be inauthentic for these traditional people to suddenly be speaking English at at home because the the whole story was how they've tried to carry, keep their culture alive and language is one big way that that people do it yeah so uh, it was uh, i think we had gone eight months after the pitch i had the script ready and stuff and and no uh, heroine and then there was a screening of deepa mehta's midnight's children at aga khan um, so we went there for the screening uh, and we had in mind that Deepa Mehta, she makes a, a lot of films in Canada, so maybe she knows someone. But of course, you know, I wouldn't have access to her or, you know, yeah, her, yeah. her husband, David Hamilton. Uh, and then we went to the organizers and said, you know, we're not, you know, just crazy fan boys. We are, we are crazy fans of, of her work, <laughs> but, you know, we're not just talking her. We want to speak to her because we're trying to cast someone. Yeah. And uh, her producing partner, her husband, David Hamilton, he was really kind and he sat with us for 10 minutes. He spoke about the story and he's like, you know, there is an actress so who works with us. She's in Vancouver. Send her a note and send her the script and ask for advice on casting. If she likes the script, she'll say that she wants to do it. Otherwise, she'll give you advice on who to go to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. yeah, so that's what we ended up doing. We we reached out to her, uh, and she is based out of Vancouver. A veteran of thirty five years, she's been acting for a really really long time. Yeah. She's been in Punjabi cinema. She's yeah, been yeah. in a, a lot of Hollywood films. She's worked in a couple of Deepa Mehta's films. So she was in Beaver Boys. She was in Heaven on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, won a couple of Leo awards. She's a CSA nominee, which is the Canadian Academy Awards. Just to say, you know, there was a person with all that experience, but there was exactly one person in yeah. all of Canada that that we could find. Uh, and thankfully she was very kind she flew across the country we said we didn't have a budget she stayed in my house uh, you know lived with stayed with our family you know we, we all ate together uh, and yeah just like family the the film got got made and I, I guess that is how any indie film gets made you know it's a bunch of miracles coming together it's an indie Indian film <laughs> that's how we do it 
Uh, no, that's, that's great. And she, again, she has to carry the film, but she does a very good job of that uh, right from the get-go where she's freaking out about what she's... Like, she's freaking out so hard. I knew what the movie was about, and I'm going, what did she really... What did she do? Um, and then how you set that up. And then just her... Uh, her curiosity... Like, her... She has a, a wonderful curiosity about her as she goes um, throughout the movie on... Uh, I imagine that's a... a I don't know. It's it's a hard. I would imagine it's a hard balance to achieve. Um, you're the director of it, so that's kind of your job of of figuring that out. But did you? Was that your? So this was always a comedy from the get go, as you said. Yeah. Um, did you have any issues with? I guess not translating it to her, but just was it? I'm not sure what I'm trying to ask you, but the no, 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 tone, no. tone. Yeah, yeah. Did I, you? Was tone difficult? I I know where you're where you're coming from. So there was somebody a, should I don't know. <laughs> yeah so I, there was a struggle at the start because when I sent her the first draft she said this woman seems so naive like, this woman has been in Canada for so long how had does a job she, yeah, and she's yeah, a teacher she's had yeah, a yeah, job yeah. you know why is she so innocent why does she not know about all these chicken things you know because these are so widely eaten and it, initially I think just uh, explaining to her that if you're not steeped in the culture if it doesn't happen to your family you don't show an interest in it and it's a, a very you know uh, simple example but I, I tell people I don't drink coffee so I have no idea what I'm so glad because <laughs> I don't either and everyone thinks I'm weird people think I'm weird regardless but the coffee thing is a big like turn off so I don't know what a cappuccino is. I don't know what a penti venti is. You know, I I don't know what a like what like, they taste like. You don't know what they are. No, at all. no, I, I I don't know what they are like. Oh, okay. How what, you know what, what I know what a cappuccino yeah. is. I'm trying to be no, okay, yeah, fair, no, fair enough. I couldn't tell you that. what a macchiato is. Mm. Like I know these these names because I go with friends, but I've never bought it myself. Right. You know because yeah. uh, I've never had them. So uh, it, these things are all around me. How could I be so naive not to know it? But they were never part of of my life. Um, also, she uh, initially the the script was was much longer. It was a twenty two minute script, and you know, for festival submission requirements and stuff, uh, we brought, wanted to bring it down to fifteen. So we had to make a lot of things tighter. Mm. But at that time, we I took a lot of her input as well, and I tried to explain why you know such a journey would exist. Try to show where this person was was coming from, and the fact that you know it is about food, but it is about a, a larger thing. So once that was uh, that had happened. The other lucky thing was that we didn't have money. So I said, you know, you have to stay in, in our place. We have a nice place for you. But uh, a lot of the shooting was happening in my house. So when she had come five days in advance, we were rehearsing every day. So the first day, you know, she just sat with me and we did a dialogue rehearsal. And then we would just sit at my dining table and say, okay, Balindraji, you know, can we uh, do a, a rehearsal now? And it would just be, you know, three hours a day, four hours a day. But that came out really handy because I was not a very experienced director to have such a control over craft. Uh, but I think those rehearsals helped a lot. I, I always recommend it to, especially emerging filmmakers, to always have time for rehearsals, work with their actors, because it, it really works wonders. I would agree. Um, big fan myself. Um, but yeah, that, that was my only thing. Of it. So eventually she had her input and we figured and you found a good tone. Um, what is, yeah. The, the other thing I wanted to mention is the edit is very important when it comes to comedies. So when I was watching The Rushes, I was like, what a sad film I've made. Because <laughs> this woman has a sad life, you know, like she's retired. She That's my cut of the movie. <laughs> my cut of the movie is you walk away going, oh, that poor woman. 
repressed in her own home. Uh, and you know, uh, I, I watched the the initial cut, and it was uh, because it was not cut tightly, so it was a loose cut. You know, sure. we, uh, had about fifteen, so it went up to eighteen minutes. And I was watching it. There was no, no laughs. Thing. It was still funny. I, or no, did you? Or, I, I, were you I not seeing laugh. it? I was feeling sad about this character. You know, like this. He wrote it. He was <laughs> laughing so at it. Oppressed. He directed it. Was like this works for me. I don't know. And then we we got it cut. You know, so it was like okay, like comedy works on actions mm-hmm. and reactions. You know, so let's get that reaction shot. Okay, yeah. it's starting to feel funny now. Uh, we jump from here to there. We change the the starting a little bit. We cut some scenes around. Like okay, it's starting to seem snappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it went to music, and for music, I had written the script listening to the Amelie soundtrack. I'm a huge fan of Jan Thiersen, and I think that film is really cute and really whimsical. Like it is the epitome of whimsical films for me. Like this woman who is, you know, uh, controlling the whole or- or world. You know, at least feels that she controls the whole world around her, and she comes in front of her lover and literally melts. Yes, she can't speak. So for me, my actress Gayatri was like that, who's you know controlling or like helping run everyone else's life, but never has you know thought about her own life at at all. So I gave my composer the a note that you know I wrote this thinking of Amali, just make it like Amali. And then I got the first cut of the music, and it was the most melancholic score ever. I, I was in tears. Let me get that, me get that person's number. I, I might. I'm gonna <laughs> totally use that. So it was just different takes on the same film, mm-hmm. where you could also hear that melancholy. When when I yes. went back to the Amelie soundtrack, of course you hear yes, that melancholy yes, yes, yes. there as well. But when I was watching it, I was taking a. It was my take on it, right? Yeah, yeah. So then it was just having that conversation and saying, you know, this is the emotion that I want to bring out of it. You know, this is the whimsy that I want to find in it, but not the melancholy because it is not a sad film. Like her life is sad, but it is turning brighter, and you know, the the score can sort of uh, underline uh, the her inner journey instead of you know the the thing that is obvious. So the score then sort of becomes the subtext. You do get a little bit of you know those boings and uh, what you. You try to avoid them. So I'm curious, as you say that, because you've now mentioned that a few times, where uh, the lens on the movie could be sh- like different, could be viewed different. So now I'm just curious. In I mean, you wrote it, right? So in writing it, in making it, uh, did you feel as though this is something that you would need to have to find in the edit? As you're saying, the edit's important, or were you finding some of it on the on the days you were doing it, or did you find that to be a constant? Like, am I Am I doing it? Like, am I doing it justice in the way? Like, I, I mean, I'm not saying that you, by any means, that you, like, you found a comedy in the edit bay, because yeah. obviously you wrote it as a comedy, as you said. But did you? Was that a struggle? I imagine it'd be a struggle of just not struggle, but like just of being like, yeah. man, am I, am I even making the movie I think I'm gonna make? Like, am I making that movie? Well, I, I think that, like, as a director yourself, isn't that the struggle every time? Like, with every. Film. I have that struggle. <laughs> I have that struggle when I'm writing it. I'm like, am I even making the movie I want to make? So I uh, knew the script was. Uh, funny, so I, I knew there were. I, I knew the concept was funny. Let's start with that. Right, sure. So I pitched the concept, and it really brought the house down when I was pitching it. And at that time, everyone had because it was done to a uh, you know a three producers, but a live audience as well. And the immediate reaction and you know the outpouring of love that I got after the pitch competition, where everyone was like, you know, you're gonna win. Like we all know in our bones that you're going to win. This is a great story. What's that feel like? <laughs> I want to know what it feels like. It's a like. rare feeling. Yeah, no, I know. Because I've I've written a bunch of things that haven't landed, 
uh, even with friends you know you uh, pitch a story to a friend and then uh, 80% of the time they're like oh that's similar to that other thing and and then you spend your whole time saying no it, it doesn't you know, it's not at all similar to that thing or <laughs> uh, you try to show the value yeah, in this yeah. idea because it's so dear to you exactly. but they've seen through it and they've seen through the fact that it's it's not as special a story as you made it in your mind right right so when you get that sort of you know uh, reception it's always special and and i tell myself that that's not going to happen every time some movies are going to be better in the execution at that than the idea this was just a high concept idea that yeah, landed yeah, yeah. okay uh, after that when i went into the writing i uh, i got a reading done with actors uh, and this was a, a group uh, another plug for a group called we make movies canada because i found a couple of people in my cast just by that oh. cold read and over there people were laughing and they were saying you know this is something special this is not something we we've, we've heard before uh, so i was like okay people are laughing there's something here then when i i shot it there was only once that you know i got a laugh out of the, the acting because it was a deliberately funny scene or there was something slapstick about it but apart from that if it is a, was it the a chicken guy in the costume <laughs> is it yeah so uh, but otherwise you know if you have written a, a comedy that is more based on subtext then you you're always worried whether it'll come through or not and that goes all the way through until like your first screening so mm. you watched it with the editor both of you have watched it a 100 times neither of you have laughed that's because yeah. you watched the rough cut as you say that long, you know? my stomach feels weird because i'm just like i <laughs> that's that i think so th- i that's what my i was curious about of, of i'm glad you mentioned the table read was funny yeah. and and make but that was my concern of like did you you seem to have a pretty good um, track record of okay funny it's tracking funny yeah at every step and then for a long time it wasn't because we were cutting it mm-hmm. so when we were shooting and cutting it for a long time it wasn't funny and then when the final score came and you know we got some people to watch it and they like yeah it's nice it's really nicely made and you dread that word nice because you never know what to make of it you know cuz these people have known your story so of course it is nice that you made it yeah yeah but you don't know whether they're just being polite to you and uh, you know they uh, subtextually saying it could have been better or i wish i had laughed <laughs> <laughs> well i look i i i made a film a long time back where i remember uh it sounds biased cuz i wrote it but i would always say that there are a few lines that still make me laugh i can't like the movie as a whole doesn't it's not a full comedy but i just think like if if we're hitting those right beats and so we'll get to like i've i've seen it at a screening it's done very well uh on the festival circuit can what was that so your first screening was at edmonton okay and what what was that walk us through that because i'm just so curious because now like you said you went through an edit process where all of a sudden your your brain starts second guessing the idea of like i don't know I don't know. Like, I'm yeah. sick of watching this movie. I know where all the laugh lines are, so I've dried myself out of it. Yeah. And it's always just interesting with a new group of people. And here you are now. It's showcasing the world. Uh, it went well. It did. Uh, so th- another plug is for the Edmonton International Film Festival. They are an Oscar qualifying film festival. Uh, and getting in was a huge boost. Uh, because... Uh, you know when when you you've made the film it is so special to you you feel that everyone should take it or nobody will take it you know because you <laughs> love it and, you one, love it yeah. and hate it in equal measures uh, and when 
the first festival take it takes it it is so huge uh, you know just as a boost that someone apart from my team likes this and someone who's watched 5000 films thought this was worthy of being in the top 100 mm-hmm. and that that's a huge boost to to any filmmaker always, always. uh and then uh, you're trying to find an audience so th- for small filmmakers you know there's not going to be a huge turnout so you have to find your own audience so you're reaching out to uh, film clubs in the city before that you're making your facebook events you're you know putting up facebook ads and then you know you you've put it in 50 places and you get one like out of that and <laughs> you're like why aren't people watching this right like, yeah and you're like okay we'll we'll take the one like but mm-hmm. you're worried that nobody will show up and then you see, you go to the short film screening so short film screenings are in blocks of 6 7 films yeah. you uh, at at film festivals mm-hmm. uh, and all of those 6 7 filmmakers are in the same place so on the first day of the festival you meet those people and they're all worried you know will someone show up will someone you know, yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. show up and they've all been doing this exercise where they're trying to get their two people or their four people and out of that a group of 25 first comes in then you're like oh the screening's about to start oh 20 more people came in okay it's a 400 seater but we got 100 people here the 100 people at your premiere is is amazing you know we got our uh, uh, lead actress to fly out from uh, Vancouver so she had come to Edmonton she had brought a couple of of friends there and then you cross your fingers you hope people laugh Uh, and in in our case ours was a friendly uh, family friendly comedy and there's so few of them that go into festivals or or even get made so they had to fit hours in a block which had four sex comedies so is like you know sex comedy sex comedy sex comedy then this wholesome family film about this old lady then another, he remember it was 22 minutes he deleted <laughs> the sex comedy part of this movie and i got my my you know actress at and I, i was feeling so embarrassed and like belinderji you know i didn't know all the films would be like this <laughs> <laughs> but eventually people laughed and they were really kind to me and my actress you know the uh, city gave us a lot of love the festival gave us a lot of love uh, it's one of uh, like any filmmaker i'd say at least your your first screening go to it it is a an experience you'll never forget yeah no that's that's great um here's the vindication did people laugh at those sex comedies <laughs> They did. Uh did you they, get more laughs? <laughs> no, they so they were all well well made. Yeah. But I did get the approval of other filmmakers who said, yeah, you've made a great film. And that was nice because you and they I could see that they all had put their everything. And uh festivals are great in that sense that you're in your bubble where you know your you know five local filmmakers but then you see someone from the UK who's going through the same struggle you see someone from Vancouver going through the same struggle you know someone fluent from Texas who's also you know has the those same nightmares at every night and finding that community is something that you know festivals are a, are a great place to have yeah no it, and that's that's great um and I incidentally I caught this movie at a festival last year in Chicago and I I had the same um like I went part of the film but I had the same genuine sense of like oh man look at the effect it had and the other filmmakers and and how we were all there for one thing but we all kind of supported we all came out yeah. for each other ultimately and uh it you never know and I'm deeply uh always inspired and envious of anybody who shows up to these things with a comedy because I feel like that Uh, with everything else with I feel like with dramas while you don't get the immediate gratification reaction 
people will have conversations with you afterwards. Yeah. But comedy to me is it's so hit and miss, but it's also so instantly gratifying. Yeah. Um, I, I and I'm just like you're, I saw your block, uh, your film in a block, and other comedies in a block that were full of dramas. So it's refreshing, even for like an yeah. audience member, to be like, okay. Uh, no more, you know, <laughs> self-examination movies. Now it's—I mean, this is kind of a self-exam too, but it's just it—you kind of free yourself of it and go, okay, people still make it, and that was what I was saying. Is this is a film that I could definitely I could show my parents, and I could—it's a generational thing. I think our right. generation understands it from a looking back perspective, and the older generation can look at it and go, like, oh man, this happened to me once. Talk to your parents, everybody. Do it. <laughs> you might find out some crazy stories about their youth. Um, so that's forbidden tikka masala. Now we, I didn't even ask you about, you mentioned about, you know, school in India. So you're, let's go back and do my job properly. Uh, so you are, so you're born in India. Yeah, I was born in India. You were there for, so I moved here when I was 17, 18. Okay. So was that, so back then in India, back then (laughs) we're old, uh, was that was filmmaking or was storytelling was that always the the move was that was something that was in you so when you grew up in india especially 90s in in india right so i was born in the 80s i grew up in the 90s uh india has a big film culture and today the culture is a bit different because sports are getting bigger and you know uh, the web is getting bigger and, you know gaming is a, a huge thing mm. but at, at our time all we had was cable tv and movies and cable TV was just coming, like around 93, 94, you know, cable boxes started coming out. But before that, there used to be just films and us watching, you know, films on the national channel, Doodarshan on the weekends, or the cable person, you know. So uh, I always say that all the filmmakers over their cable wala a lot in, in India. And, you know, what you make has a lot to do with that person's taste. Yeah. 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 So, no, I, what, in general, what yeah. you saw is what you started out making. So in in my case, it was just kitschy films from the 80s and 90s. And those were the best things I had seen at that time. Mm. And it's just those tastes that I I think like I'm watching a lot of world cinema now to wipe that out. But I think they'll (laughs) all stay within me. Uh, When people talk about, you know, where does your voice come from? You have no control of what your voice ends up being. It's just, you know, a combination of the things that that happened to you. So I, I loved films. I was living in a small town. And in small towns, that is the point of aspiration. So when you watch Shah Rukh Khan running after a plane and, uh, you know, DDLJ, you thought that's a good life. This guy is in a red car, you know, a good life is going out into an open highway, running after a, a plane. Yes. Thing, you know? Crashing <laughs> crashing the wedding of somebody you love is the life I grew up wanting to have. So, uh, and, and that is what you wanted to be. You wanted to be the hero of, of your stories. It, not necessarily an actor, but you wanted to be have a heroic life because that was the only thing you could look up to. Uh, the other story I, I sometimes tell people is, uh, so that I had a strict family and we didn't have a cable box until like the mid 90s. So uh, the I, I used to be put to sleep or sent to sleep around 8.30 because I had a school day, a day the next morning. And in my room, the back window opened into the living room of, of the guy behind me. And I couldn't fall asleep until 11 and I could look directly at his TV. 
so for years i just watched all the movies on that he used to watch without any sound which is why you know <laughs> like those visuals are so imprinted i don't know who that person is but he has such a huge role because do you know what those movies are <laughs> heavy night so i used to yeah yeah the like the 90s movies they used to be like saput suraksha khiladi soldier like these are the the classics that i grew up yeah, on yeah, yeah. no i'm just yeah, i'm just curious yeah. of, like you said you just said cable guys were making yeah. tastemakers but now you you owe that guy a little bit of royalty for uh so like <laughs> he was your film school for a while it sounds like so i wasn't growing up on et or back to the future these these things right mm. so th- these are, the, are where my taste come from and which is why you know my films are more wholesome or, or family friendly because that that is where it came from uh, then uh, when i got into my teens and moved to canada uh or or in my college years then it became possible to go to the movies without letting anyone know so my family thought i was at uh, university and i spent most of my university years at at the cinemas where at least now i had control over what i was watching and and when i was watching it and then i could be more discerning then moving to canada i, I started going to the film library a bit that's when i discovered a different kind of humor a, a different kind of you know filmmaking style so the film that really blew my mind was apocalypse now I got it from the film library, and I had never seen something like that. Uh, I don't think I watched the entire movie again. I watched it in bits and pieces afterwards, but I still remember it frame by frame. I I didn't know film could be made like that. You know, I, the the ambition that you see on there it is is so rare, and and that is what sort of took me more into you know learning more about film. I still you know haven't seen a lot of the classics, and that is what I'm I'm catching up on now. uh but that is sort of the origin story of of where film came into my life i i you touched upon um voice and i get you said we're not all there yet but i it's something that i uh not struggle with but i i just of of when you want to like you said you're a writer director i'm trying to be a writer director and the idea of it, in that scope what you put out weirdly becomes a you know a mark of an identity identifying mark on you so you you're do you feel the same i mean i feel a sense of like do you feel with at least forbidden now being out and and the response has been lovely and we can talk about those wonderful youtube comments you were uh talking about earlier but uh in terms of and i said you're broadening your horizons a bit do you feel i guess it's too early to feel pigeonholed but Do you ever kind of wonder because I feel like I I wonder every, with every script with every idea am I doing enough both in terms of am I doing enough to solidify yeah. what I want my voice to be or am I am I just not really sure and so I feel like it has to be like you said like I I'm not saying that you're going to make like three more wholesome family comedies yeah. but do you Are you're still in the process it sounds like of figuring out what that definitive not definitive but like what that voice should look what Rahul Chaturvedi's cinema should kind of be I think yeah I was It's a broad question yeah, and, no, and no, no, probably no. an unfair question to ask for uh where we are at this stage in our careers but I just But I do spend a lot of time thinking about that because I'm pitching my next couple of projects and they are all you know wholesome films mm. uh wholesome family films and uh that thought does come to me that am I only writing these because forbidden to come solid well or because people expect a certain kind of film from me because I know that at least with this kind of film it would get into these kinds of festivals or these people would would enjoy it you know so if just because i found 
uh, an audience with one kind of film am i trying to tell the same story over and over uh, but you try to share your stories with people they you know your friends keep you honest at at this point where they like you know i i feel like it is repeating a, a lot of the same tropes or uh, and and if it's not then you also hear that from your friends like okay we we see where you're coming from i think uh, voice and and i used to be very anxious about this before forbidden tikka masala i think i'm a little bit lucky in the sense that i i feel like i found my zone i feel i found how i see the world i you know i see a, a sort of niceness in in things and uh, earlier i i used to be anxious about that because all my friends were making edgy things and they were into edgy things and as like you know i like a reservoir dogs but you know would i ever be able to make it and now i feel is it necessary that i make it and even if i do you know why why does it matter if i make it badly i so, like the i like that you use that example because yeah. i i cite uh i cite reservoir dogs as one like i feel like everybody cites quentin but uh that's one that's one of the films that i remember seeing at like 10 or 11 and just being like oh you could do that like you can right. you can just have people talking the entire movie <laughs> and then and people argue that was a terrible lesson to learn <laughs> given the kind of films i make but i just thought like that was new to me right and 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 if i can say like i i watched something like forbidden with a sense of complete understanding that like you just said uh some things i look at and go good for you i love it yeah. right not it's not for me to to uh create right? right so so you know it's interesting that you say you know what that looks like um yeah i'm sorry which is important i think it's important what, to know what that feels like to to know what you want to make to know what you want to put out in the world uh and i didn't when i'd finished the film so Forbidden. i think that yeah yeah so i think the release and the journey after has actually helped me uh i now know how i want people to feel after my films So I think the audience plays a big role also in making your voice. Is when the audience comes and says, "I really like this part," that gives you a huge boost and like, "Oh, I like making that as well." You know, maybe I could make that again. Maybe I'll give you another laugh. And in that sense, I I, I think you know the the release uh, cycle or the the festival uh, arena. has a lot of value in that sense where it helps filmmakers find their their voice uh, so did the digital release i mean you know the the lovely comments but uh, they they did help solidify which parts i enjoyed and what i'd like to put out again in the world that's so it's so so great to hear when that happens when you i'm not even going to call it vindication because that's kind of a uh, we won't even get into that like sort of like oh i'm it's self congratulatory but Like I'm more I'm always more concerned and curious about that of of what you take away and uh like what you just said if someone likes this yeah I you know in your brain how I can pinpoint that emotion or that yeah. idea and how it shows up again in the next one not to say the next yeah. one is going to be the exact same thing but yeah. whatever it's that feeling it's that feeling uh, and it fe- it feels nice it's not about you know constantly aping yourself or or not evolving mm. but it's about at least having uh, the the end goal in mind of you know what emotion you want to get get out of this and what you want people to feel uh, what part of your world you want people to see that nobody else is showing and you know if 
there there's a, a bunch of you know people who want to make Quentin's movies but there's nobody who wants to make you know Suhag or Saput or Soldier from the 90s so if I can be that person who can bring a little bit of that charm why not you know what's what's wrong with with that I think part of it is also like being in my mid 30s now and you know I'm starting into filmmaking very late or you know I feel like an older filmmaker uh, but I'm I'm engaged now you know I'm starting a uh, I'm going to get married soon so it, I'm now in the place where I'm okay with who I, I am I think that a lot of that happens in in your 30s where you're like okay you know a, a lot a lot of people don't see me as as the you know next amazing filmmaker or the next edgy filmmaker they're all like oh you make nice films good for you i'm happy with with that you know I, I, yeah so no. i can give you all a laugh <laughs> that sounds very uh i'm gonna use the word comfortable but not mean it in a way that means like complacent yeah. i, I it, it sounds very comfortable to uh know where you're going know what you're doing and and know what you're trying to say like I, I mean i we're about i think we're around the same age and i but i feel like what i am trying to achieve is what you're talking about which is just being able to go i'm doing this i'm putting it out in the world i kind of want this from i want this from you but i also want this to satisfy me in some way and find a good balance of that um i'll let you know when i find it but the, the general sense of i i like hearing that so going so what does that mean toward like you just kind of explained a little bit your future but what is the what is the next kind of plateau um do, I, from what i remember you your next you had a short are you, is the short coming like another short was coming this this year or, or covid so, messed a lot of things up i understand covid covid did mess that up we were in pre production for that we were actually casting for a christmas short mm-hmm. it was called namaste it it is still called namaste santa yeah and is the based on my own obsession with christmas because I, uh, the only uh, you know clean films we were allowed to watch in the 90s when Star Movies and HBO came were the Christmas films. Uh, so the, I ended up watching you know Home Alone many times and Jingle All the Way and Santa Claus, mm. and I, I felt like that was the heyday of Christmas films where a lot so many of them got made and and found an an audience. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to make my own Christmas film because I felt like we'd seen so many versions of Kevin McAllister's Family. Yeah. Movie, you know. And now it Bollywood, <laughs> not big, not big on Christmas movies. Bollywood, what's what's going on? Uh, but we hadn't seen like you know Jazz's family or Rahul's family. Uh, so I said Namaste Santa in 1990 actually, and it's the it's the story of the same time when you know Kevin McAllister is getting his big moment where it is broke. He's breaking you know all box office records. Yeah. There's another kid who's just come to Canada. And is finding out that there's something called Christmas and there's this, you know, jolly fat man who's getting free toys to everyone. And this kid is like, I want in on this scheme. Uh, but his family is, you know, not so hot on the idea because uh, for them, it's not that transactional, you know, for them, it's a loss of identity. Like they've already lost. And money. Yeah. <laughs> and, and money. And, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Like I've always felt like uh, Christmas, it's like the theater of the rich and uh, poor people and especially people of color they are the stage hands they are putting up this show so we will you know we'll man the stores for you we will sit at your reception desk when you go to your uh, christmas parties we'll drive your uber when you're going to your party or when you're coming out drunk but we won't have our own christmas story you know and uh, so namaste santa came from that Uh, we had stopped for a while because of covid 
uh, getting back on on that uh, that's also been written as a feature film now so every time i would pitch it to people they'd be like i'd like to watch that for 2 hours can you you know please write a feature version <laughs> so and, and that's always nice when the the person listening says oh this is my story so when i pitched i pitched this at relation and you know i won the silver prize again uh and uh, the great thing was one of the jury members who was also a south asian said this was my story this was my childhood you know and i'd i'd love to watch this so when enough people said that i wrote this as a, a feature script as well and i'm in in drafts of the feature script but that is my uh, that, that is my dream right now that's my dream project is to make the feature uh, the feature which is namaste santa uh and uh, uh christmas of the have not so the you know christmas for the rest of us no i like i like that because I, again that's kind of it sounds like it's your story of, yeah. of coming in i i grew up um in america where christmas is the be all end all oh, it's, it's and huge, i right? i remember just thinking like i we didn't celebrate it even like like minimal it was like super we didn't obviously do the decorations but um i remember just being like i can't tell anybody that we don't celebrate it because it's so you lie about it's ostracizing right um and it's not even that it's the fact that like the same way you said oh i loved christmas i loved christmas because when you're in school you're doing all of the things we were decorating trees we were building uh gingerbread houses the nativity scene right so like like that you know i i was knee deep in Christmas, and then I'd go home, and I'd be like, "Mom, I want to have a Christmas doesn't exist. I want a gingerbread house," and she'd be like, "Why? What is that? Why?" <laughs> Eat your dal. You yeah, and I was like, "Oh, you get to build this house made of cookies and candy and stuff," and she'd be like, and then "That's you throw it away. and that's like, yeah." That, wasting food? She yeah. just thought it was so stupid, uh, and I just remember thinking I didn't feel comfortable for many years uh, to be like, "Yeah, we don't celebrate it because it's the so Christmas is the biggest event that as a world we celebrate." especially as a continent mm. biggest event that we celebrate and at least 25% of this continent doesn't really celebrate it or you know and they're kept out of it at least 50% doesn't celebrate it the way it's shown in the films yeah, yeah. but in the film santa claus always comes to a standalone home that has the money to have lights it has a chimney santa claus has never come to an apartment that's how good christmas is for white people yeah. they left the child at home and he still got a dope christmas <laughs> all right he wasn't even around. The family wasn't even together. He got a amazing Christmas, and they abandoned his ass. And all we're asking for is like one present. I'm very bitter about this. Uh, in my thirties. Um, so and Namaste Santa. The fundraising campaign will come out soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I can count on your support. Yes, and I'm everyone gonna, else that has been bitter about living living vicariously funny. to watch other kids have the things I didn't have. Uh, no, I, I love that, and and I would say that like that sounds very wholesome and family oriented, but also completely somewhat different. Like I wouldn't even. It's yeah. probably it's the same. It's the same category of film if you want to talk in a very broad sense between you know the immigrant story and and uh, kids and all. I, I think it's 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 a natural progression. I wouldn't even say. I feel like it's very. They like to limit us as voices. Yeah. They like to go, "Oh, you made didn't you already make something with a <laughs> with a brown lady eating chicken?" And you're like, "Yes." Now I have another thing with the brown family, and they're very much just like, Are "We didn't we already see that?" And you're like, "You've seen it one time in the span of like thirty years. Get so, over yourself." I did hear that uh, even when I was pitching to people, I was like, "Isn't this story done already?" You know, didn't we have a fresh off the boat episode about Christmas? Like, didn't you have thirty-five films about white people? Yeah, Christmases, and we get like one person. I'm pretty sure Home Alone is still a franchise somewhere. Um, But that's my point: is 
is those questions are posed to people of color yeah. right now. Any, anyone who's not whatever you want to call the majority. And it's like, but don't those kids need something? Can't they have more than one? Yeah. Thing, you know? I mean, if Tim Allen can be Santa Claus three times... My family is full of people who look like Santa Claus, all right? I, we can we should get one where, you know, I'm that's what I'm casting for. Can I be Santa Claus in your in your movie? I just I I'll dye my beard and we'll just call it a day. But that's my point is, is when do those stories kind of this kind of like, oh, you've had enough time. Now whether you don't you're not guilty of it. You're in your 30s. Someone could have tried to make this movie yeah. when, in their own prime and it didn't do so well because the tide is changing, and I I would love to see it. Uh, I I think the audience would be up for it. Um, so that's that's kind of your short slash long term goal. So the short will be coming still, or we're gonna just go full speed ahead on the feature. No, no, no. So the short uh, will be coming. Right. I feel like, uh, we, I feel like our people need to do, do that. Take time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I'm still polishing the script for the feature. We found some support in you know people. I've got a, a little bit of a development fund for the feature. People who have been reading it have been enjoying it. Um, and the fact that it speaks to so many people's experiences, but also it isn't you know just about this festival but it's about community resilience and, and the spirit of community uh, I have written Forbidden Tikka Masala as a feature wow. and it's one of uh, the stories that I'm proudest of you know, it's, let alone here it's right you know it's one of the best stories I've heard ever I really love that that story and I really hope I can turn that film into a, a feature um, I've written a, a few shorts that I, I hope to shoot sometime soon uh, when you know now that uh, lockdown is ending, I'd, I'd like to explore my voice more as a, a director, but on on smaller, more you know one location, very specific shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that can be done, uh, I'm I'm enjoying this journey. I'm I'm enjoying the place that I'm at, and I'm enjoying where where I'm going. Hopefully, this you know stereotyping thing doesn't uh, come up soon. And and even if it does, I mean, there's I I feel like we have decades worth of stories that haven't been told. And now is our time, so we're gonna keep telling it whether they like it or. Yeah, no, like, like I said, I, I think we we're catching up in a yeah. weird way. Like I, people are always like, "Oh, tell your stories now," mm-hmm. and I go, "No, I, we won't. I don't think I'll feel included a little bit until we get like a 1920s story." Or yeah. like, I feel like why why is we our limit is like oh 1995 onwards you could try, but right. it's like right. right like we I want to see you know our people in cowboy hats and stuff. Like I want I want to see like that diversity of 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 character and cast but we're still kind of brushing up against that and i I think uh christmas is a good place to start very accessible (laughs) no one's gonna uh hate on children trying to celebrate christmas there's weirdly always a market for that um so i I wish you the best in that Um, and i think it's a good place to wrap up uh thank you for sitting down uh yeah one one thing i'd like to to plug is uh, forbidden tikka masala is now on omelette Oh, right. I mean, we'll, we will put all the links and stuff for you. But yeah, if you want to go for it, this is the floor is yours. Yeah, we, we've already found a lot of love on uh, uh, YouTube. But do please keep commenting and please keep sharing it with people. He reads all with, of them. Yeah, with, with them. <laughs> anyone who, who could use a laugh today. Uh, because your feedback is the only thing uh, that, you know, keeps us going. Uh, like we, we spoke about earlier, nobody pays us to make our art. So <laughs> at least give us yes. love. <laughs> He keeps rubbing that in. He's like, remember how we're not getting paid for this? I'm like, stop doing that, all right? I'm trying to get sponsors here. Um, but yeah. Uh, and, and thanks so much for having me, Jazz. I, I had a lot of fun. He has to say that. That's part of the contract. 
Uh, no, I had a great time. I'm so glad that we got to do this in person. We always do this kind of over the laptop. Uh, I feel like we're all tired of Zoom calls. So this was great to uh, to capture it live. And yeah, uh, for everybody out there, once again, for Forbidden Tikka Masala is out on YouTube. We will link it. Check it out. Comment. Follow. I'll tag Rahul in all of the prerequisite material. Give him a follow. He's doing some great things, man. And he's doing some things that I think you're going to want to see. I know I'm going to want to see them and... and Again, I'm playing Santa Claus. I'm going to be a part of them. <laughs> we'll figure it all out. But, uh, yeah, uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, until we bridge again, man, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much.